Oftentimes in our peer support group, they start off by using, by calling themselves stupid or foolish, or how could I fall for this? But then they learn through our program, wait a minute, I am not stupid. I am not foolish. I was manipulated. This person used social engineering to play on my emotions, to manipulate me into doing what they wanted to do. This is Lock and Code, a Malwarebytes podcast. I'm your host, David Reese. As you can likely hear by now, our show sounds a little different today, and it will continue sounding a little different, but be not afraid. It is just some new intro and outro music. Uh, Our show is still quite the same. And speaking of our show, our main story today is about romance scams. Earlier this year, a new flashy documentary premiered on Netflix called The Tinder Swindler. The documentary told the stories of three separate women who'd all been manipulated into giving one man, the same man, hundreds of thousands of dollars across a span of months. This was money that these women didn't really have. They were coerced into opening new credit accounts and applying for loans that they couldn't comfortably afford. The pressure campaign that these women experienced was always the same. The man they'd met and sometimes fallen in love with was in trouble. He was the son of a billionaire diamond trader and his lifestyle demanded expensive dinners, alcohol, and entertainment for his company's clients and potential clients. But according to him, the diamond industry was dangerous. His bodyguard was attacked one night, he said, and his life was being threatened repeatedly, he said. His credit card was being tracked so that his location could be uncovered, he said. He had no means of getting back home, no way to run his business without a little extra help to the tune of tens of thousands of dollars at a time. And with nearly every life-saving request, his victims paid up. If they didn't have the money, they found a way to get the money. Retirement accounts were drained, credit scores suffered serious blows, and all financial stability was erased. The three women in the documentary had all fallen victim to the same type of fraud, a romance scam. Though quite modern, this scam took place on Tinder after all. Romance scams have been around for pretty much as long as the internet has allowed us to meet and talk to strangers. And they are serious problems, as we'll learn in today's episode. Today, to help us understand romance scams, their intricacy, their warning signs, and really, What happens to the victims who lose their savings, who are left alone, and who just as often feel ashamed and embarrassed? We're speaking with Cindy Liebes, the Chief Cybersecurity Evangelist for Cybercrime Support Network, which launched its Romance Scams Peer Support Program last year. Cindy, welcome to the show. Well, thank you so much for having me, David. I really appreciate it. As David said, I'm Cindy Liebes. I have been with Cybercrime Support Network now for about a year and a half. But prior to joining CSN, I worked for the Federal Trade Commission for over 35 years. I civilly prosecuted 
scam artists, including those who were dealing with internet scams, telemarketing scams, but those who were engaged in unfair and deceptive acts and practices. I retired as the regional director for the FTC's Southeast Regional Office and then joined CSN. For those of you who may not know, CSN is a public-private nonprofit whose mission is to serve individuals and small businesses who've been impacted by cybercrime. We support those individuals both by our website, fightcybercrime.org, and also for those affected by cybercrime, we also have another website to help identify scams and stop fraudsters at scamspotter.org. But CSN also has several programs that offer support to those who've been victimized by scams or you know cyber crimes. And as part of one of our programs, we have a peer support program to help romance scam survivors combat the feelings of, as you said, embarrassment and isolation, while we also teach them cybercrime awareness and education. Let's just dive right in. I started the episode talking about this documentary that I think several folks have watched. I know people were talking about it at my work quite a bit, which is, right again, this documentary, The Tinder Swindler. And I said at the top there, right, it's kind of flashy. It's got this kind of veneer to it, like, oh, look at this intrigue happening. But essentially, there's this fellow, this man, who is swindling women out of hundreds of thousands of dollars over time. He meets them, he wines and dines them, he takes them on flights, he promises them the world, he shows that he is quite wealthy, and then he attacks. He says, I am in trouble, I need money. And so with this being like the kind of picture that people have in their minds when they hear romance scam, I wanted to actually ask, how does the average romance scam compare to what we saw in this documentary? And and so in other words, what is the typical romance scam actually like? The typical romance scam is somewhat generally somewhat different than what you saw on the Tinder swindler. That was one where they actually met their scam artist in person. And quite often those with whom I've worked, they have not met their swindler. They have not met the scam artist in person. But I want to start out by saying these folks are criminals, they're professionals, and they know what they're doing, and they know how to manipulate their victims. They generally pose as a romantic suitor, but they really have one goal in mind, and that goal is to steal money or to steal identities from kind, generous, caring, and giving people. Uh, Generally, the way it starts is you'll meet someone online, and after a very, very short amount of time, they'll profess their love. They're charming, they're thoughtful, and they'll often reach out several times a day. They'll tell you how wonderful you are. They'll call, they'll text, they'll email daily to check in, but to establish a trust. And they often use intense flattery, compliments, and they'll make sometimes future plans for marriage or lifelong plans. So people are lured in by this constant contact, constant flattery. But the romance scammers are the masters of disguise because they create fake profiles 
Oftentimes they'll use attractive photos that they've stolen from the web. Sometimes they even assume identities of real people. Many times it can be people in the military and they'll actually take on their persona. Most often these photos are attractive and believable. They'll start communicating with the person a lot, but they feel often one thing is take them away from the original site, original dating site, or wherever you're communicating with them. They'll ask you to text or email or go to Hangouts, a different place to talk to you. But essentially, what they'll do is pretend to have common interests with their victim. They know details about their victim, and then they'll share those same kinds of interests. They'll often say that they are out of the country for some reason, whether they're an oil rig worker or in the military or on some sort of secret mission or that they're a construction worker working overseas. And that's a reason that they'll give you as why they can't meet in person. Sometimes, but often they don't show their face on the computer or they'll send a picture or they'll FaceTime, but the voice won't match up with the words on the computer or in the video chat. But almost consistently, as you said, David, after gaining the trust of their victim, they'll come up with some sort of story of bad luck or an emergency or a business problem, and they need someone to send them money urgently. And the victims will often do so because they're caring people. And frankly, this is their love interest, the person they're going to spend their life with. And so the scam artists will ask for money, for gift cards, for cryptocurrency, or they may even ask the person to open a bank account for them. And those are some of the kind of typical things that they will do. But invariably, they will ultimately be seeking money or a way to get more money from the victim. Something that you mentioned there that I really wanted to dive into is that you mentioned that seemingly every single time these scammers, and I'm so glad you called it out immediately, these folks are criminals, right? Let's not get it twisted around, right? These people are criminals, that they routinely remove the victim from the site that they originally met them on. So something like LinkedIn, something like Facebook. Why is that such an important part in the scam? Well, sometimes they do that, or many times they do that because they don't want to get caught. And oftentimes the dating sites or Facebook or the other places that they've met their person, they are reviewing the sites and they are monitoring to see if there are problematic people on those sites or people are using a picture over and over. So if they take you off, the primary site to a place like Hangouts, it's much more difficult to be tracked and it's more difficult for authorities to catch them. I also wanted to ask, what do we know about these criminals? In the same way that, like you said, you know, crime and fraud can affect anyone, right? Very true. Are there certain 
commonalities between these criminals in terms of is it region you know where they live are they working alone are they working in groups so yeah what what do these criminals yes have yes and yes <laughs> <laughs> yes yes and yes to answer your question you know oftentimes but not always they can be overseas in other countries we've seen a lot of these scams coming out of africa out of nigeria but that's not always the case as in the tinder swindler he was all over the world you know they can be anywhere they may work in groups they often pretend to be others and have a large group to confirm who they are. So, for example, with some of the romance scam survivors that I've been working with, they will maybe get a call from someone who professes to be the attorney working with the person that they're being scammed by. And that person may be a female, maybe another person. So, you know, they can work in groups, they can work individually, but oftentimes they are in other countries, which makes it very, very difficult both to catch them and then to bring them to justice here. Yeah, we will absolutely be touching on that in a little bit. We've talked about who these folks are, we talk about who they target, and something that I think is important to understand is how long these criminals wait before they ask for money, before they request money, before they began their the full crime part of their crime, right? Because I think a lot of folks have this misunderstanding that, you know, someone hits you up on Facebook or on Tinder and they're like, hey, how's it going? And then like a week later, they're like, I need money, right? And all of us think, oh, I would never do that. You just barely met this guy. But it sounds like these relationships can dip into months, if not years. Is that correct? Correct. It can be months. It can be years generally. And again, each of these statements I'm making are in general because it can happen almost immediately or it can happen years later. But in general, they wait sort of like hunting their prey until they've established a relationship. Because for many of these individuals, it is a real relationship. It is as real as a relationship with someone they've met in person. It is their true love because the scammer has established it that way. The scammer has led them to believe that when they get back from the oil rig or from their special mission in the military, they're going to be married or they're going to spend their lives together. So it can take months, it can take years, but invariably, they will seek to get money and thousands of dollars from these individuals. I think that fact that this can take months, right, or even years, it sort of speaks to the fact that these people are doing this for a living, right? Like you wouldn't be able to wait a year to scam someone out of tens of thousands of dollars if you weren't also doing that already, with other individuals. It's the kind of thing like they can't just wait. And so it just means that they're likely doing this to multiple folks all at once. Yeah, we we found that a lot of times that the scammers are scamming quite a few people. They may be working in a large group and they're scamming a lot of different people. Sometimes even the victims will say, you know, the person seemed to change. It almost seemed like I was dealing with more than one person, which may be true, that they may be dealing with different people 
if they're working as an organized ring. But yeah, they often scam many different people. These people are professional criminals. This is their job. This is how they make their money. And I think a lot of times for those who may say, well, I would never fall for this. They don't realize how professional these people are. They use techniques like social engineering and emotional manipulation. They know what to say, how to say it, and when to say it to make kind and caring people give them what they want. Because we've talked so much about how these things work, you know, what the typical scam looks like, and that this is a serious problem. I want to understand what is the, if there is a number, right, which is sometimes very hard to find and identify, but if there is a number, whether that's finances or number of people, what is the scope of this issue? It is a huge, huge problem. According to recent Federal Trade Commission data, in the past five years, people have reported losing a staggering $1.3 billion, billion dollars to romance scams. That's more than any other FTC fraud category. And in recent years, the numbers have just skyrocketed. In 2021, the reported losses hit a record $547 million for the year. And that's more than six times the reported losses from 2017 and nearly an 80% increase compared to 2020. I mean, it is just staggering and it's just growing. This is also just the tip of the iceberg. Many, many people do not report these scams. They're embarrassed. They're afraid. They just don't want to deal with it anymore. And so we know that this is really just the tip of the iceberg. I'm glad you brought that up immediately, right? That the finances is just, like you said, the tip of the iceberg. Let's talk about what else happens, right? Let's talk about how people feel after being scammed. What happens to these people? And also, uh, I think this is a good point to understand. This is a good moment to explain. How do you folks know so much about this, too? Well, one of the reasons I know so much about it is, you know, I talked earlier on about the peer support program that CSN has. It, it, it's such a wonderful program. And I have to say, in my 35 years dealing with scam victims and dealing with scam artists, this program has probably been the most impactful thing I've done in my career. But our peer support program for romance scam victims or romance scam survivors, as I'd rather call them, the program was created because of loss and embarrassment and isolation that can accompany romance scams. There's a huge increased risk of these people being targeted again. And being involved in this type of scam can lead to depression, anxiety, and even suicide. Many of these people are really afraid to tell anybody about what they experience. So we created this program with a goal of preventing re-victimization while also supporting these people's emotional and mental wellness. This program, we partnered with another nonprofit, Given Hour, to provide support and facilitation by our group. So we do not only 
cyber education, which is facilitated by me, but we also work with a licensed counselor in these groups. There are 10 weekly sessions. Each one is about an hour. Uh, they're virtual sessions, and they include cyber education. And the folks in the group talk to one another. They share what they've all gone through. And like I said, much of what they share is consistent across the board. And that's very helpful for each of them because they can see, wait a minute, I'm not alone. It just didn't happen to me. They learn that these people are professionals, but they also learn how to get back online, how to date safely again, how to share safely again. And they also learn how to get past this, which is something very important. I just do also want to give a shout out to FINRA Investor Education Foundation for their support and to Zell Early Warning for their support, because without them, we could not have this wonderful program. I'm just trying to understand here and help our listeners understand as well, like why this is as difficult as it is for folks. And something you were mentioning before is, you know, sometimes the people who are getting targeted, they're like widows, they're recent widows. And so imagine like losing the love of your life and then you're already likely, you know, in a state of depression naturally. And then someone comes out of nowhere seemingly and they promise you that like you could be happy again. And then you, you just fall for it. You go for it. It isn't your fault that you want to be happy again. I am curious because, like you said, sometimes these survivors, they're recent widows. How do the criminals know that? They are looking, they are following these people. They're talking to these people. You know, sometimes you can be online, I, I, I say Facebook, but any social site, someone will say, oh, I'm so sorry for your loss. They now know that you are widowed or mm-hmm. they know that you may be divorced, uh, that you may be even on a gaming site and playing words with friends. And then they'll start chatting you up. They really do get to know their victims. They stalk them. They know a lot about them. And then they learn more and more as they get to know them because, you know, they've fallen very quickly for them. They help them get through these very difficult times. And it's someone to talk to. Again, like I said earlier, they may contact this person several times a day. They'll say, good morning. How did you sleep? You know, if they're having difficulty sleeping, I'll talk to you. I'll talk you through it all night. They'll talk to them. I mean, this is their job and that's what they do to lure a person into a place where they're willing to share information about themselves, to part with their money, and even sometimes to open accounts for these people where they can launder additional money into these bank accounts and serve as what the prosecutors call as money mules. In other words, they are part of a scam that's victimizing other people. Gosh, this thing that you said where these criminals are speaking to their targets and eventual survivors, sometimes through the night, and they're, they're legitimately helping them like they are helping them get through a breakup or through grief and then to turn that around you know this ulterior motive behind the entire time is i'm using this to scam you i'm using this to take advantage 
I am not a psychologist. I'm going to be misusing terms. I am sorry, everyone. But like to me, that sounds like like an intense manifestation of like sociopathy. Like it's the kind of stuff that you're like, this can't be real. Like how can you turn off your emotions in a way that allows you to scam people this way? It's it's awful. That's it. Well, let me start by saying in my mind, and this is me, there's a special place in hell for these people. I don't know how they can do it other than to them, those that they're stealing money from, that they're manipulating, they don't care about them. But, you know, for those that are speaking to and falling in love with Uh, their potential suitor, it is very, very difficult. Emotionally, they don't understand even how they ended up falling so hard. You know, oftentimes in our peer support group, they start off by using, by calling themselves stupid or foolish, or how could I fall for this? But then they learn through our program, wait a minute, I am not stupid. I am not foolish. I was manipulated. This person used social engineering to play on my emotions, to manipulate me into doing what they wanted to do. But you know, the other thing, like people say, well, how could you do it? And one of our survivors said, she described it as, and this is a quote, for others, it sounded like they were strangers. But for me, it was my lifetime partner. That's how real these relationships are to them. They're lifetime partners. Gosh, yeah. In the peer support program, and from speaking to survivors of this, I wonder if there's anything you've learned about how much these people keep it in, how much they are afraid to share these stories. And so when they come to your program, is this the first time they've spoken about it? Is there any data about like, oh, they told one person once, you know, but then they never mention it again. I I just don't know, you know, if that even exists, like that understanding, but is it the first time they actually come forward? It, It really depends on the individual, but it is a safe space where they can share all of their emotions. I will say there's a wide range of people in the group. Some have shared what happened to them with their family and friends. Some of them have been really chastised, especially by their families. In some instances, families have actually tried to put these individuals in a conservatorship saying that they are not to be trusted with their own money. It's very difficult. Some people have told no one and others have shared it with the world because they believe the more people they tell about it, the more they can possibly help another individual not become victimized. We have one woman who did not want to share with anybody, but after being in the program for about five weeks, she contacted her local TV station. She went on air, although they did not show her face, but she went on air and told her entire story. And she did that. She said it was empowering so that she could help other potential victims before they lost 
some of whom have lost their entire, entire life savings. And she wanted to help others. Wow. Look, I'm biased here. I love that stuff. Like I love, I used to be a much more formal like journalist. And anytime someone goes to the press with like, this is wrong and I'm going to talk about it. There is a level of bravery there that has to be admired. There's a level of selflessness. Like I'm doing this to help other people that you just got to respect. These things are happening. We got to talk about them. It's not easy. I wanted to zero in on on this kind of feeling of shame. Like you said, these, these individuals, they come to you and uh, a lot of times they say things like, I felt stupid. I feel foolish. They've been chastised by families. You had that one story of being pushed into a conservatorship, which is extreme, by the way. That is an extreme option. Uh, conservatorships are highly imbalanced in this country. It's very difficult to get out of one. When we respond to survivors of romance scams this way, with judgment, with criticism, what are we missing Like when we come to these brash conclusions? What just aren't we getting? Well, First off, what we're not getting is how professional these scam artists are and how, you know, it is not the fault of someone who's been victimized. Years ago, we used to do that to rape victims. We would blame the victim. And this victim blaming goes on at all levels. You know, the law enforcement often may blame the victim. Well, you parted with your money. It was your fault. Financial institutions are equally as bad because they've used these bank accounts or they've depleted their bank accounts and they'll say, it's your fault. You know, sometimes I wish the financial institutions would say to the person, you know, have you met this person in real life? Are you sending money to someone? You know, often they'll say someone that you know, and they'll say, of course, I know this person, even though they haven't met them. Blaming the victim adds to more depression, more anxiety, and more feeling of self-loathing, if you will. But they not only feel those emotions, they're sometimes very afraid. Uh, That was an emotion that I didn't expect when we first started doing this program. But what I've learned is many of them are very afraid because the scam artist knows everything about them because they've shared intimate details of their lives as they would with anyone that they were intimately involved with. So the scam artist knows where they live. They know their address. They've often got every bit of information, their social security numbers, their bank account information. Like I said earlier, they may ask the person to open a bank account for them. And now they're sharing money. The person has access to everything about them, including their bank accounts. And oftentimes the scam artist will threaten these people. If you don't send me money, I'm going to come get you or, you know, something bad is going to happen to you. And that fear is real. It is devastating. And they use tactics much like a physical abuser, a spousal abuser might use uh, someone who they use tactics to make these people give up information and give them money so that they can continue their scam. Yeah, like you said there, that they're they're using these similar tactics. It is like you said, there's a lot of emotional manipulation and it's things like you said as well, where if you have a conversation with someone in a very difficult time of your life, throughout the entire night, 
hours on end. That person is important to you. Like, that's it. You can't pretend like they're not. And then they're using those. They're using those conversations as hooks. They're using that emotional attachment as a hook. And then they're they're threatening. They're warning. Or, or they're saying, you know, there are threats against myself. Which, if you're a kind and caring individual, if you're not a criminal who's using these manipulation tactics, you're going to be like, oh, what can I do to help? I sometimes think so much about how some of the things we hear about in something like a romance scam is similar to the behavior at face value from healthy relationships. So like you said, you know, you open a bank account, they open a bank account together. I have done that. But that itself isn't a red flag, right? The fact that there is a shared bank account isn't this is abuse. It's more so that this is common. This is what people who love one another do. This is what a healthy relationship looks like. And to manipulate that into something worrying, again, another example I have sometimes is, you know, there are abusive relationships where, you know, the abuser demands to know the survivor's phone passcode, right? The passcode to get into their device. My wife and I know each other's passcode. We know how to get into each other's phones. We don't use it for any abuse. We don't use it for ill or for malicious intent. But at the same time, all it means is I can't go to someone and be like, how could you share your password? Because <laughs> because of course you could. Yeah. And they come up with variety of reasons why you should share all this information with them. They can commit identity theft and open new accounts in your name because they have all of that information. And like I said, one of the more problematic things is you could end up being part of a scheme that's perpetrated against others because you allow them, for example, because they tell you that they need you to open a bank account, they're overseas and they need to get money into this account to pay for a family member who's having an emergency. I mean, every bit of it, any excuse they can come up with. But you open this account for them because you think this is my love interest. This is the person I trust. I love them. You open the account and money's going in and out of the account. You're not doing it. But all of a sudden, the FBI comes to you and says, wait a minute, your account is being used as part of a romance scam against someone else. And you don't believe it. You go to the scam artist who you think is your love interest. And he says, oh, they don't know what they're talking about. They're making that up or comes up with all sorts of excuses. Like I said, these scam artists are good. They're professional and they know how to tell the victim. Wait a minute. Don't believe everybody else. I'm the person who loves you. They just don't understand. The Department of Justice and the FBI in fact, had an 85-year-old woman who they ended up prosecuting because they had told this woman that, you know, she was being used to engage in a romance scam with others, and yet she did not believe them because her scam artist was so good and really manipulated her. So it, it happens wow. quite a lot. Wow. Earlier in the show, you mentioned, and we're kind of talking about it right now, you know, when law enforcement gets involved, but you mentioned that it is so difficult for survivors of these scams to get their money back. I have two questions here, right? One, why is it so hard 
to get their money back? And also, too, why is it so hard to catch these people, to catch the criminals themselves? It's very, very hard to get their money back. Like I said, oftentimes the scam artists are in another country. They're not who they say they are, of course, and therefore finding the person's difficult, extraditing the person back to this country is almost impossible, especially in a country where we don't have good communication with that country. And, you know, there's not enough law enforcement in this country to investigate and follow up on every single claim of romance scam, there are millions of victims and they can't keep traveling to a country like Nigeria to investigate these scams. It's very, very, very difficult. And even if they do find the scam artist, finding the money and, you know, oftentimes they spend the money before they even have it on a lot of fancy things. So it's just very, very difficult. How are financial institutions in this in this whole thing? Like, like, how responsible are they? How responsive are they? Because I think a lot of folks have this understanding that, you know, when they've had a brush with something like identity theft, they've reported it to their credit card company and they've said, I didn't spend $300 at the Sunglass Hut in Missouri. I don't live there. That's not me. Uh, and I wasn't visiting. And then I would say every time I've had that happen to me, it's been more than once, um, my credit card institution has been like, okay, for sure, we'll refund you. And it's gotten to the point where it's easier than I would have anticipated. And also, it's just as easy as it should be because I was stolen from. So what's the difference between these situations and and romance scams where the financial institutions are saying, uh, no, 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 like that's on you. That's not us. What's going on here? Well, some of the time the thought is, it's your money and you can take it out of your account and spend it as you've chosen. And you have made that decision to spend your money in this way. I do a lot of speaking to financial institutions and, and often say to them, please, when someone comes in and they're taking money out and it's not typical of what they've done and you see that they're sending money by wire transfer or a lot of money keeps coming out, do something about it, talk to them. But we've also learned that sometimes even if they did talk to the individual, as I said a little bit earlier, when they ask the individual, do you know this person you're sending money to? They say, of course I do. I know what I'm doing and who I'm sending it to. It's a very difficult problem. But what makes it even worse is, for example, if someone takes their money out of their 401k or their retirement account, they probably will owe taxes on that money. Mm -hmm. And over and over and over again in our peer support group, that's one of the things that the folks in the group have really had concerns about is they've lost their entire life savings, their entire 401k account. And now they owe taxes on that money. And oftentimes it can be hundreds of thousands of dollars that they've lost and they then owe tens or even hundreds of thousands of dollars to the government in back taxes that they don't have. Gosh. 
Yeah, of course. I mean, if some of these individuals are 65 and up, right, they have a healthy 401k, you know, to their name and you're taking money out from your accountant. That's considered an income. And after 45, 50 years in the workforce, yeah, I could see a tax bill being $100,000 easily. We've been talking so much about romance scams and I, I wanted to get your input. You know, what would you say to people who are listening today who either might be victims, right, to a current scam or have been scammed? And so there's kind of two questions here for both parties there. One, what are the signs to watch out for, right? We mentioned like red flags before, but what are warning signs? What are things that people should stay abreast of, stay informed on? And then number two, what support is out there for people who, who've been scammed? Okay, those are great questions. Uh, a couple red flags that I'll talk about. You know, if you meet someone online and they profess their love in a very, very short time or their declarations of love seem scripted, that may be a red flag that something's not right. Also, people need to pay attention to or if they have an accent or grammatical errors, or if they feel like, as I said earlier, they're talking to multiple people or they need to communicate at odd hours. That's a possible red flag that something's not right. If their messages are unclear or don't make sense or inconsistent, you know, they say that they're from a certain town, but then they change their story. That may be a problem. Also, if they claim that there's a reason that they cannot come see you, that they're in the military or on an oil rig, that is a giant red flag. Also, you know, look at their social media presence. Do a reverse Google image and look at the picture. You know, sometimes, and we've had several of the participants in the peer support program, same picture was used. I actually just heard a YouTube program just today where a military officer, his image was used so many times that he can no longer be online because his image keeps being used. And the same picture and information about his family. So do a Google search on that picture someone might have sent you. But really, the biggest thing is never, never, never send money or open a credit card account or take out a loan for someone that you have not met in person. Nobody legitimate will ever ask you to help them by sending gift cards. So never pay in gift cards. <laughs> never pay by wiring money to someone you've not met in person. And one of the most recent scams we're seeing a lot of is kind of a mix between an investment scam and a romance scam where the potential, the alleged suitor claims to be really good at investing in cryptocurrency and lures the person into investing in a crypto account that either is not accessible to the individual anymore, even though they're seeing money that they're making money, they're making uh, a lot of profit on this crypto account, they personally cannot get into it, or it's really a fake account. And so it's kind of the, the balance of both. But most importantly, talk to friends and family about your new love interest. And if they're expressing concerns, 
please, please, please pay attention because oftentimes it's those around you that really are able to see and hear what's going on. And the next question you asked is what support is there out there for people who may have already been scammed? Really complain and report. Report to the Federal Trade Commission. Report to the FBI through their IC3. Report to local law enforcement, Secret Service. You know, you never know what agency might be willing to investigate it. You never know if, and this happened in in one of the groups that we were working with, if the FBI might already be investigating the person who has scammed you and that you're part of a larger scam. And then if your identity has been stolen, go to identitytheft.gov. There's great information. You can freeze your credit and you can hopefully stop new accounts from being open. Report to the dating site or the site where you met the person. Report to your financial institution. There's a common theme here. Really report (laughs) as many places as you can, because by reporting it, you're not only showing trends, you're giving data to the law enforcement agencies, to the, the government agencies, and your financial institution may be able to help you if you report early enough. And for those who may have been victimized, I really encourage them to join our peer support program. They can get more information about the program at fightcybercrime.org because this program has truly helped people. The difference between what they've experienced when they first start the program and after completing the program, they've gotten their lives back. And it really has helped them, not only financially, but emotionally, and to hopefully not be re-victimized by a romance scam or any other scam. So the participants in the peer support program often give us testimonials about how successful the program has been for them. And I'd like to read a couple of them to you. One of them is during the 10 weeks of sessions, I found that I was not alone. I also found a great deal of empathy from everyone in the group and the resources for help shared by all. And then someone else said, if someone is considering this program, I would say, give it a try because you will learn things that will help you move past what happened. It will enable you to move forward with your life. Cindy, thank you so much for helping us understand all of this, right? For digging right in into how this works, what's happening, and really, I think, shedding light on helping us understand that like, these criminals are professionals. We think to ourselves, that wouldn't happen to me. Oh, I would, I would notice on day one, you know, the crime doesn't happen on day one. It happens much later. So again, I wanted to thank you for providing some guidance as well to all the folks who may be in similar situations or or feel worried to come forward with their own experiences. And again, thank you for coming on today's show. Well, thank you so much for having me, David. And, And to all of those out there, if you have been the victim, please don't be alone. Don't be afraid. There are others like you. And actually talking to those like you who have also experienced this is very, very helpful emotionally. And it's something um, hopefully that will allow people to move on with their lives. 
To our listeners at home, we'll talk to you again in two weeks when we speak with Whitney Merrill about how she hunted down her data from a platform that, if you can believe it, she wasn't even a user of. Until then, stay tuned and stay safe. And remember, you can read all our cybersecurity coverage on Malwarebytes Labs at blog.malwarebytes.com. And please, if you like what you heard today, follow and review our show. And finally, our intro music is by Kevin McLeod from Incompetech.com. And our outro music is by Woa from Unminus.com. Thank you, folks. <laughs>